find you my missing puzzle piece I'm complete I was just Two Daydream Believers podcast. I am your host, Space Surfing 18. Today we are back from Christmas break and we have a really awesome episode here. Um, it's another one of our split episodes. So we're doing Sadie Hawkins and this will be the Lima slash Blaine side. And I've got some really awesome returning guests. Hi, this is Kay, Black John Lennon on Tumblr, Killer Queen Edie on the archive. And I am really excited. I love this episode. Hi, I'm Jamie, and I'm like a rum chocolate souffle on Tumblr, and just like a souffle on Archive of Our Own. All right, welcome back, guys, and welcome back from our really long hiatus, which was one week <laughs> in this in this in this time. I think it was a um, gosh, I didn't even look. I think a month or so, maybe two months in glee time. The hiatus has got longer and longer. It did. It felt like it anyway. And it, it's not just a glee thing. If you ever fall in love with a show on Fox. Just be prepared for your show to disappear for months on end because Brooklyn Nine-Nine was gone for months at one time. And I was like, what am I going to do? Um, the, the interesting thing about coming back, um, this actually kicks off a, a string of episodes that I really, really like in the show. and um, But it, it just, to me, it always feels a little different coming back. And, and season four kind of, I know that we're, you know, already 10 episodes in, but season four really starts to feel like season four and um, really starts to gel better than I think it did in the first half of the season. So uh, did you guys have any thoughts on that or does it feel the same to you guys or? I feel like the writers finally kind of like found their footing with regards to how they were going to pace things between the two. I think New York still suffers a little bit. And I know that you're, you know, it's a separate podcast, but, you know, the Lima site is so brightly colored and brightly lit. New York is all very drab and everyone's wearing like, you know, drab colors. And so it's very strange, but I do feel like they've got a little bit of their footing back with regards to how they want to do the split. It no longer feels like two different shows. There's a central theme that kind of 
reaches across both episodes for the first time. Um, I mean, I guess you kind of had that in Thanksgiving, but it does feel more connected than I did in the first half of the season. Uh, I also really enjoyed this set of episodes. I felt like they were a lot of fun and really well written. But I remember talking to people at the time who were like not obsessive Glee fans who like just watch an episode here and there. And they were really, really confused about like who all these people are and why they're in different places and why they're not talking to each other and what they even have to do with each other. So um, I think that, yeah, that having the two locations was a bit of an odd thing. <laughs> it, it, uh, um, maybe less accessible to people just jumping in. I feel like at this point, it's one of those, you know, you have to know kind of what's going on to understand what's going on. Whereas I think before, um, and we may mention this in previous, in previous podcasts, that maybe like season three was a little bit more episodic. So if you hadn't seen a few ugly episodes, you can just jump in and, you know, all these people and et cetera. But when with season four, you kind of had to have been following along. I mean, I, I guess like, it's kind of funny. We were doing the season rewatch for TBD and the previously on Glee part just said, Quinn is having a baby. And that was it. That's all there was. But with you know, the season <laughs> four stuff, it's like, this, 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 this. It's like, whoa, that's where he gets really fast. Well, it's, so. it's gotta be hard to jump into like, when there are people in fandom who are like, I started watching Glee in season five. And I'm like, how? Just <laughs> because it's gotta be hard to jump into any show more than halfway through its run. I mean, I remember I watched Community off and on, but then I started watching it really seriously. I think it was their third season. And I was like, okay, no, I've got to go back and rewatch this because I've watched it sporadically. And I'm like, okay, I don't know these relationships. I don't know, you know, I'm just jumping in so far into a show. You're going to be lost. And then a show like Glee, where there are, 20 characters like there's 25 characters right now 15 that were there that might come back at some point yeah, you're <laughs> be a little confused. yeah exactly um i i do agree though okay i think that they figured they found their footing with the what i was calling like glee the next generation um the college years is still when santana gets back that's when that really starts to gel but i i while we were talking in dynamic duets that that was kind of the merging of the old crew and the newbies, I think that they finally have come with to a very comfortable balance by the time they get to Sadie Hawkins. So it feels like these characters are no longer trying to replace the old characters. These characters feel like the new characters are supposed to be, and they're interacting with the old cast, which helps everything in, in general. One of the things that the writers of Glee do is when they get to know an actor, they take little bits of who that actor is uh, in real life, and they throw those bits into the character. Even Although Darren says he's nothing like Blaine Beckett-Tobin disagrees. Um, <laughs> and so I feel like one of the things that they did starting here was they took little bits of who these new actors were now that they knew them, and let the characters kind of go that way. So Becca is very snarky and sarcastic, and they put a little bit more of that into Kitty as opposed to just cruelty. And and Melissa, God bless her, is just kind of a big dork, and so they let Marley be more awkward and more of a nerd. And, and you know, they you start to see these bits of who the actors are, and it kind of lets them be feel more like fully function, fully formed characters and not just trying to fit this mold 
of, okay, well, she's the new shy, naive girl, and this is the bitchy cheerleader, but more like they fit in this world that is really crazy and, and odd and goofy. And so I think that helps on top of them letting them have storylines with existing characters. Now, uh, before we jump into the Blaine and all of the, the stuff that goes around Blaine in the story, uh, I know, Kay, that you wanted to talk a little bit about the Marley Jake and the Pup Kitty stuff. Yes, my babies. <laughs> <laughs> so if we ignore any like kind of connotations of the Kitty and Puck storyline, like if we pretend like Puck and if we don't just ignore everything we know about Mark Salling, um, I think even though it was a little weird, he's 18 and she's 16, which I guess is that weird. Um, they have potential. I was actually kind of interested in seeing where it's going, but now that I look back at it, I can kind of see why when you learn about more about Katie's backstory, they're both kind of victims. And I would have liked to have seen them kind of get more into how they would interact aside from just offering sex to each other. But they're both people who, who use sex as a tool in, in different ways. And so it could like, have been interesting. I like how forthright and um, upfront they both were about what they wanted out of their date. And, uh, and they weren't like, beating around the bush or like using, you know, metaphors or anything. And they both were really clear about what they wanted to happen and they both agreed about it. And it was just all really consensual and good. Yeah. And they're both very, the one thing you could say about those two characters is that they are both very straightforward. No one was BSing anybody (laughs) in in that, (laughs) you know, it was pretty much, this is what's going on. This is what's going to happen. And I kind of liked it and it kind of, you know, let you see a softer side of Kitty, and Puck's just, you know, Puck's gonna Puck. He's gonna do what he does. Um, Jake and Marley Ooh, took wait, me a wait, long okay, time okay. to kind of... Okay, oh, can sorry. we bring up, um, just really quick, I have to bring up Puck's play, or, uh, screenwriting skills. <laughs> His script. I really wish they had let, just gone with that. I know! That was, that was a really funny little bit, though, I have to admit. Imagine Puck's script Directed by Artie. Amazing. Yeah. That would be so good. Why did they never... Oh, I'm sorry, Jamie. (laughs) I like that they showed that he was actually really kind of insecure about it. Because as soon as she complimented the script, he was like, really? You liked it? And uh, yeah, it was sweet. I like that she said, once you get past all the grammar and spelling errors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, Puck can be such a little puppy sometimes. and you, You don't get to see that side of the character, so... I thought that they had potential to be kind of cute, not necessarily in the long term, but just kind of something that, you know, is there and happens occasionally and keeps her out of Jake and Marley's hair and <laughs> lets her be and lets her be fun and, and young and light because that was something that we missed from that we didn't get from her in the first half of the season and it's something that we start to get more and more of as the season progresses. And I think that character really needed it because I think out of all the newbies, Kitty is the most popular. And I think it's because they let her be more. Uh, she's very similar to Santana. Is she the most popular? That, uh, uh, most people, if they, I mean, they even brought her. She's the only one they really brought back for season six. And mm. I know a lot of people really like Kitty. Oh, I haven't seen that on my timeline anyway. So that's a surprise to me. Yeah. 
Or maybe they just really like Becca. <laughs> yeah, I've seen people, a lot of people liking Becca in general. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's most of my timeline is, you know, not neutral to dislike in general of newbies. So, yeah. But I do find that out if, if any of the season four newbies pop up in fan fiction, it's usually Kitty. Oh, and my. And- in my timeline, it's all Marley, Jake, and Ryder threesomes, and like Unique is the best. And who are you following? Um, I follow them. The first person that comes to mind is Januarium. If you want newbie love, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't. We've been we've been pals for for a yeah. long time. Yeah, she's one of my yeah, she's one of my favorite people in the fandom. <laughs> and we definitely spent our spent a lot of season four going, oh, our babies. <laughs> you know, the only thing that there's not really a whole lot of unique in this episode, though. No, she's in the background of the scene where Tina serenades Blaine, and she's still in her, she's still dressed as Wade. And one of the things that I want to do, um, you know, when I get around to really rewatching season four as a whole, is to see if where it goes from her dress, like she kind of transitions from dressing solely in her, in the boy clothes. And then a little bit of she'll wear an outfit that's more feminine, but she, and she'll wear makeup, but she won't wear the wig. And then just, and then from a certain point, it's fully, you know, she's fully, um, God, I'm screwing this up, Jamie. So let me know if I'm using (laughs) the wrong, (laughs) the wrong language, but, um, I don't want to say she's fully unique because unique is who she is, but I guess presenting yeah. fully as unique. So it's kind of like a transition where at this point she's fully, tra- she's fully presenting as a boy. And except then she for, kind of goes except, into a neutral. Except for at the dance. I, 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 my, what I, what I remember from a previous episode, if I remember this right, is her parents wouldn't let her, uh, wear girl clothes outside the house. But, um, she must have gotten an exception for this dance in this episode. Um, and Or maybe they saw it as a performance or something. She was up on stage singing um, Locked Out of yeah. Heaven and things like that. Because so. I know in, um, oh God, Diva, she gets into the argument with Tina before they sing Diva. I believe she's still dressed as Wade. And I know in Guilty Pleasures, she does um, Baby Spice and then when the oh, whole yeah. fishing thing starts happening, she's kind of semi-presenting fully as unique, but she's not wearing the wig. Mm-hmm. At s- sometimes, sometimes she is, sometimes she isn't. And then we get, then of course we find out that she's been bullied and chased home. And so I kind of want to track and see if after the Glee Club uh, says, you know, we're going to walk home with you, if that's the point where she oh. starts presenting only as unique, or if it still kind of goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. Because in season five, she presents as unique the whole way through. Right. Yeah. You'll have to let us know, Kay, what you, when you kind of, if you, I don't know, see it as you do you, your rewatches. Because I know you're on some of the ending episodes, too. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And then you want to talk a little bit about Jake and, Mar- uh, Jake and Marley and Mar- Marley's friendship with Brittany and a little bit of that. I didn't rewatch any of this. I so I'm relying on you. <laughs> I was going, I actually started rewatching it and I fell asleep, but I also watched this episode so frequently that I didn't really need to rewatch it. But um, Brittany is interesting because she she will later bring Kitty on fondue for two and Guilty Pleasures, which is kind of when Kitty is fully integrated and is no longer 
kind of a bully to them. But I like that she kind of calls Marley out. And she's like, you know, you need to be, you need to be more open, you need to be yourself, and you need to ask him out and stop kind of wallowing and, you know, being all awkward about it and being all shy. And she, it's funny because Brittany breaks the fourth wall, and I normally don't like when they do that, but that's because they usually do it with Sue, and I don't like when they do anything with Sue. But <laughs> she, <laughs> but she kind of brings Marley into it. She says, you know, we're gonna sing, and it's gonna start. I'm either gonna say it's Brittany. Bitch, I'm gonna do like a magical spin. And what's funny is they do the spin and their outfits change, and Marley reacts to the outfit change. Like she notices that something like happened there. And so I kind of like that. They don't do that often, and it really worked for me there. But I also just think that Marley is the way she yells Jake's name before she asks him out. I just really like that they need her kind of this awkward, gangly, kind of nerdy girl who isn't ashamed of being awkward and gangly and nerdy. Like, I love that Marley is one of the... I've made a, made this complaint on Tumblr a couple of times, and it was not a popular complaint. Um, that Glee, the only character that was seen regularly wearing jeans to school was Mercedes. All of the other female characters are constantly dressed up like they were going to a club after school. <laughs> like, bodycon dresses and stilettos and you know, full-on, like, contoured makeup, and, you know, and I was like, you know, where's the girl who wears jeans and, and tees to school like I did that, you know, just wants to wear her chucks and be comfortable, and so I love that Marley's that girl. She wears jeans to school, and she wears, she wears, you know, tank tops, and, you and know, not everybody hat. is, yeah, and uh, and her hat. I like her hat. <laughs> I will I say too. that. I do like her hat. I like anybody that wears hats. <laughs> you remember Kay when we had that conversation about Kurt and Blaine wearing hats back in like early season three because they were always wearing yes. hats back then. <laughs> exactly. As a hat person myself, I love anybody that wears hats. My curly hair doesn't always fit in hats, but I will try to force it. Okay, I think they're yeah, really just, cute in a hat. Thank you. I just like that, you know, she's so different from the girls that we've seen on the show so far. Because you go to the New York knowing New York side and Britain and Rachel and Santana are always in like heels when they're just hanging out in the house watching TV. And so it's nice to see a female character that's kind of more relaxed in her fashion because they used to find it almost insulting that the only person that wore pants was the plus size girl. I wonder though if a part of that comes from Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy seems like the kind of guy who just doesn't think about those things as much. And he's like, I want everybody in these like really fashionable fashion, me fashion, fashion. <laughs> unless the storyline is that yeah unless the storyline is that they're not fashionable exactly like Rachel's pantsuit the one time she wore it so and then the costume designers are like um okay <laughs> I mean not to knock them because they do such an amazing job throughout the series the costume designers are just so fantastic but yeah I can just I mean if Ryan Murphy is dictating that he wants to do an episode about orange then I'm sure it's like <laughs> those poor Fashion, the poor fashion department. I'm sorry, you want to do an episode about what? <laughs> and I have to find like different shades of orange that doesn't wash out this person. And yeah, so those poor people. <laughs> so yeah, um, jumping from that though, we're finally um, let's get to the Blaine stuff, which I want to preface this with a little bit of context and say we, we came out of the Christmas episode. Blaine went to see Kurt. They are kind of in a 
better place going forward. And we come back from Christmas, and we have Blaine, who seems, at least to me, who is already kind of in a better place than he was after the breakup and going through the initial breakup stuff. I have a question before we get too deep into this, uh, what goes on with Blaine in the episode. Sure. Because we're coming from Glee, actually, that's the Christmas one, right? Glee, actually. And and I do, Blaine is going to say we were together at Christmas. So I want to know what you guys think. When he says that, do you think anything happened between Kurt and Blaine at Christmas? That's awesome. I would love to hear otherwise. I'm trying to remember the context of that line. And I think he also references the wedding, or is that later? It is in the wedding episode when they're, I think it's in the room. Yeah. When after they, they destroyed that room. <laughs> after they had sex um, the, the next morning or the next whatever, wherever they are next. Um, Blaine says, it's no accident that we were together on Christmas and again on Valentine's Day. And it's vague enough that you could say, is it because, the, you know, they're together as a, it's a holiday and they're together? Or they just had sex and it, they had, you know, and we actually, I, I'll definitely open it up to hear your guys' opinion. My opinion, we actually talked about this quite a bit on the Christmas episode. But yeah, I'm totally here. Let's hear what you guys have to say about it. Because I told them on the Christmas episode, I could go both ways. I've, they made cases for both ways. So I'm like, I could go either way. Um, I think it's interesting to explore. But yeah, I would love to hear your guys' opinions on it. Um, I always assumed that he meant that they were like spending time together, like physically in the same space on holidays, um, that they're important to each other and being in each other's lives. And I, I personally didn't interpret him as meaning that they had sex on those holidays. I could go either way because part of me wants to go bang, bang. Bangity bang, 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 bang. <laughs> Did they set you up to do that, Kay, like, or did you just decide to do that? <laughs> did Snarky pay you? I can drop a reference to that. Um, <laughs> but um, my, I, I don't know. I could go either way, but I kind of lean towards the fact that you know, knowing what was happening and and everything, I could see that see them kind of coming together for that level of comfort just because of Bert being sick and all that and it's just Blaine is so confident and you know in him where him and Kurt are like he's not sad about it and I figured there had to be more than what we saw because when I saw Glee actually I didn't assume that that happened and the episode left me sad because like Blaine is just so longing and, and pining and it just broke my heart and then he said what he said on in the Valentine's Day episode. I was like, wait a minute. Huh. You know? Because Blaine's not, he is in a better place. And I would wonder if that if it would help if something had happened to let him know that the door wasn't permanently closed to him. My my interpretation was that after they had sex at the wedding, Blaine looked so like he had such a like, oh my God, we just had sex kind of look. <laughs> As if it was like a relief and a surprise, so I had assumed that that was the first time since they broke up, but that's just how I interpreted it. Even though I knew it would never happen, I always wanted someone to sing We Had Sex by Lonely Island on <laughs> Yeah, I think RV had that same. That would have been a perfect moment. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I think the show, the way they framed it, it was meant that they were just spending emotional time and, you know, not necessarily sex. I don't think the show was trying to portray that. I do, maybe and it's just because I've heard so many really, really great fan fictions um, 
mm-hmm. where um, they they do have sex at Christmas that I can see it and it makes some really great storytelling. Um, but this, this is the part we're getting into an era where everything is so open. There are so many you know avenues that you can just interpret it in so many different ways that I'm, I, I don't think have them plot holes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> okay, there's shitty writing. Plot holes, giant fissures, giant ravines where stories should be. Um, but it makes for great. I mean, I, like I think that we had some really, really great fanfics coming out around this time because of it. So I know people. That is true. Are always upset, and I get it. I mean, I always want more canon too. I'll be the first one at that front on that line, but. You know, we have, you know, canon's done now. We're never going to get that more. So I'm really appreciative of the fanfic that we did get, that we go back and read and create more if we wanted to and stuff like that. So if that were up to me, all shows would be like Grey's Anatomy going on 13 seasons. You can see the exhaustion in the actor's eyes. And I'm like, I don't care. Keep making more of my pretties. I need things to watch. I'm I'm the opposite. I kind of think all shows should end after five seasons because, like, you don't there. Like, can you really make that much more than f- five years of content out of the same characters? I don't know. As Shonda, she managed it. She's put these people through everything you can imagine. <laughs> well, my thing has always been: I feel like a good story has a beginning, middle, and end, and there's a risk when you keep going that. It just, it's like a fanfic that just, you know, this guy's like, okay, thir- chapter 32 out of question mark. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, in a fanfic, I stopped reading that, but only because they don't have regular updates anyway at that point. Whereas I'm like, Grace, now I'm going to be back in October and I'm ready for Meredith to perform an emergency surgery on a spaceship. Like, what is Shonda going to give me this year? Because it's been like, 14 seasons. Well, and look at the, and I mean, with Grey's Anatomy, Kay, I know that they've changed nearly their entire cast, too. I mean, even the, like, I yeah, know. Yeah, that helps. Like, with the, you know, the whole central storyline was with Meredith and her love life, and that kind of, like, came, that did end, and then started over again. So you're starting a new story, essentially. So, I think that's Yeah, they did kill Derek. <laughs> that was a low point. <laughs> so. That was definitely a low point. And you're right. Because if Glia kept going, I'm pretty sure Ryan Murphy would have killed somebody else. Like, killed somebody intentionally. Probably Bert. And then, yeah, never mind. You're right. <laughs> so, okay. So, um, <laughs> going back to the beginning of the episode. Um, the Okay, so we get this opening where we get Blaine and Sam, and they're on their way to their student council meeting, and... Um, I love the intensity that Sam is going on about the Warbler stuff and just how he's like, oh, you know, what's going on? I think there's there's stuff that's going on. And Blaine is just like, oh, you're very pretty. (laughs) And like, I like how Sam asks for chapstick and he's like, it's not weird. We're like brothers. And Blaine is like, yeah, ha, ha, ha. And (laughs) Blaine's like, well you know let's talk about the the crush on sam for a minute though because a lot of people you know i don't think it was out of nowhere i don't think this has you know yeah he still loves kurt that's not going to change but i think that him you know getting a crush on sam is a very normal thing and i can see you know he's spending a lot of time with sam and sam's making him feel better and sam is very handsome 
it seems like a natural way for him to if go. If he didn't have a crush on Sam, I'd want to know what was wrong with him. <laughs> I'd like, even if like, Blaine... Come on. Even if Blaine was still in a relationship with Kurt, it would still make sense because people are attracted to people and that's okay. Yeah. That's the biggest I thing. I think sometimes fandom forgets that. <laughs> like, I have friends who, who talk to their spouses about, like, who they have a crush on and, like, their celebrity crushes and stuff yeah. like that. Like, it's so normal, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be a big mean anything like oh you you love someone you love someone else and blah blah blah. no he's a teenage boy whose best friend is hot (laughs) and hilarious and always touching him and borrowing his chapstick of course he's got a crush on him he's a teenager Mm -hmm. i had a crush on everyone when i was in high school oh yeah Mm -hmm. see and that's you're right i think that's the one thing with fandom it's like you know if you as people, we're going to be attracted to other people no matter how deeply you are in love with a partner. You know, that's just kind of how human nature is. And there's nothing wrong with Blaine having these feelings for Sam. And it doesn't diminish anything with Kurt. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with him. It just, you know, I don't know. I think it's very, you know, and as we'll talk about this later, I mean, it's not like Blaine is doing, I don't know, uncomfortable things. It just... Yeah. Not I'm only that, Blaine is single as a dollar bill at this point. He, and Kurt is about to enter a somewhat of a relationship with another guy in the same episode. And I think this is why my why I was so frustrated and angry and done with certain parts of the clean fandom at this point. Because it felt like a double standard to me because Blaine cheated that he kind of deserved to be alone at this point. So it's like people are cheering on Kurt asking out Adam, but how dare Blaine crush on someone else? And I'm like, well, you know, this Blaine is single. He has absolutely every right to have feelings for whoever he wants to. And the reason, part of the reason why he has a crush on Sam is because he's safe. Um, I like how Blaine also said out loud to Tina that he was really worried about looking like a predatory gay. Like there's so many negative images in the media about gay men being like, like making their straight friends really uncomfortable and being like touchy and Uh flirty and inappropriate. And Blaine was really worried about that. Like that's in his subconscious is like how he's going to look to people. And so he's trying really hard. Yeah not to act on his like crush, which is totally harmless. Well, so. and as we learned, we'll learn in diva. I think it was no guilty pleasure. Sorry. Um, and that, you know, Sam's going to be cool with it. I, I think this was also a response to the whole cart and Finn stuff that happened in season one and two, where I wanted to, t- you know, what? I wanted to talk about that because I actually feel like Tina's crush on Blaine is more of a parallel to Kurt's crush on Finn than Blaine's crush on Salmon's. All right. Yeah, because Kurt and uh, Tina are both pretty inappropriate um, with their crushes and with, like, um, with Kurt manipulating things so that Finn would move in and they'd share a bedroom is, like, way over the top. <laughs> and uh, and in, co- in comparison, um, like, I, I know a lot of people were really disturbed by Tina rubbing va- vapor rub on Blaine while he was sleeping. Um, I personally wasn't. I didn't read it as a sexual scene, but I can see why a person would. But um, in comparison, Blaine hasn't done 
anything. <laughs> yeah, I feel like because Blaine from the beginning knows what this is. He knows that, you know, Sam is straight. Sam has a girlfriend. You know, he even says it. Everyone's going to be romantic but me. He has no, I like, no delusion that this is going anywhere. And so that differentiates it from Kurt's crush on Finn in a huge way. And I was going to wait um, to discuss it when we got to the teen on Blaine stuff. But yes, Blaine has self-awareness about the situation. And I think he just doesn't want to A, make Sam uncomfortable and B, make other people around them uncomfortable. Because Blaine's a people pleaser and he's always going to put other people first, but he also knows that this is something that happens and this is something that is perpetuated in the media all the time and he doesn't want to be that guy who's kind of leering at the straight guy and you know he doesn't want people to think see I told you a gay guy and a straight guy can't be friends without the gay guy being all over him you know and so I think that it makes sense that that's why the crush is hard on Blaine not because of you know his feelings for Kurt but because of what society says when a gay kid has a crush on a straight guy. Kind of going in a different direction, I have a couple more thoughts before we get into the student council stuff. Um, One is, I do know there was some, and this was on my dash, which was, I don't even think half of these people are, like, even anywhere near fandom anymore, but, um, like, I know a lot of Blaine people, they were kind of upset that Blaine wasn't allowed to have a crush on somebody that was gay. That they were, it seemed like, you know, Kurt gets another kind of pseudo relationship going and Blaine has a crush on Sam who it's never going to work out. I do remember hearing a few complaints about that because they wanted Blaine. And I definitely understand that. That I, for one, definitely kind of, even though I I love the Blaine storyline and I love the crush storyline, I did kind of feel a certain type of way. And it comes, actually, it upset me more in season five with that perverted Christmas episode where I was like, oh, okay. Um... (laughs) So we get this, and Blaine got zip, zero, zilch. But um, looking back at it, I kind of get why Blaine didn't have necessarily anything, and he gets it in season six when the breakup is for under a different context. But yeah, at the time, I definitely feel that, you know, I, I was following a lot of those people, and they are gone, gone, gone away from the Glee fandom. <laughs> but um, I was definitely in that crowd that kind of had a feeling about Blaine not being in a real in-game, no matter how much I loved the storyline with Sam. Um, I, and my other thing is... Oh, I, I'm in mid-game, not in-game. Yeah, well, yeah, I was going <laughs> to... Um, I think the other thing, though, I think that it shows that Blaine is finally moving forward, too, that he isn't just stuck in this wallowing and self-pitying and... You know, he's like, okay, I do have feelings for Kurt. So, I mean, obviously, I did want to bring up the fact that there are little clean touches throughout these two stories. Um, that, you know, he's healthily moving forward. You're right, he's single. He's finding guys attractive. He's not acting on it because, you know, Sam's straight and in a relationship, et cetera, et cetera. But he is allowing himself to feel things for other people. And I think that's a good thing. Um, it's definitely a good sign. To me, it makes sense that Kurt and Blaine had totally different types of plots from each other. Um, Because, like, they've only got so much time and they've got so many characters. Like, why would they do 
a, a new budding relationship story with both of them at the same time. So it makes sense that they would have different kinds of things going on. And I think the, you know, um, the gay guy having a friendship with a straight guy plot is an important one um, that like doesn't get dealt with a lot in a positive way. So I'm really glad that it happened. Oh yeah, absolutely. And also, um, I was I was kind of a weirdo in fandom because I actually kind of shipped Blaine and Tina because I because <laughs> um, I was still wondering if they were going to go back on the idea of Blaine being bisexual from season two. <laughs> um, there yeah. was someone in fandom. I'm not going to name names who thought because this is around the time we got the pregnancy spoiler. And there was someone in fandom who was 100% certain that Blaine was going to hook up with Tina and knock her up. Oh, and really? I remember, being like, I remember being like, are you freaking kidding me? That's not happening. But yeah, that person had a lot of pull in fandom. And so everyone kind of bought their interpretation of the spoiler. And it was a very awkward. It was an odd time. I never heard very that awkward. one. Yeah, I never heard that oh. one either. Consider That's- yourself lucky. <laughs> oh boy Alright so as we open up here And and yeah there's The stuff with the warblers um, Sam's whole thing this episode is about Uncovering the mystery of the warblers Which is a fun little thread Through this episode um, And uh, Then they get into the, the student council meeting And I kind of love that these student council Meetings have like this is not the first one. This is like the fifteenth one that they've done of these. And Shiver's the treasurer, and she's all, she's got a little chart with the money, and and everybody's all set to go. And then Tina just is like stopping every like all regular procedures so that she can make her announcement of wanting to do the Sadie Hawkins dance. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just liked that this was like a routine for them at this point. And I like how Blaney Blaine is with um, his disagreement. All he says is. I'm not so sure that's a good idea. And he just gets talked over. And then I like how, <clears throat> excuse me, I like how Sam looks at Blaine and says, sorry, um, which, and it, which is like really sweet that Sam like notices Blaine's like discomfort and no one else does. So, Yeah. And it just, as, as you know, the obnoxious Blaine stand that I am, anytime I get to see that Blaine has friends, it just warms the cockles of my dead, dead heart. I just because he was always so solitary, you know, and so every every time I see that he's got a routine and he's got these people in his corner now, it just makes me so flippin' happy. So, but yeah, I love the scene and I love that, you know, I can just imagine that Tina interrupts the meetings with some big dramatic thing often. The minutes from the previous one were 45 minutes of Sam's impression and he starts to go into it again and Tina's like, stop and and Blaine's, but I like his impressions. It's just that <laughs> it's just such little mo- like everything in Glee at this point is just so jammed together because there's so many plot lines and they, all of these little beats that they have, I think, are really interesting. So yeah, and they're fun and it's so so high school. <laughs> um. So yeah, and Tina's. I don't know. I don't know. Wasn't the Too Young to Be Better Club kind of an offshoot of whatever Sue made Rachel join back in like? Season two, I want to say. That was season one, wasn't it? Where it was like, um, um, crap. Lauren was in it, and was that season two? I think it was season. Was I? It was. Season. Why was? I know exactly what you're talking about. Though. Yeah, but I don't remember why Sue was doing this. <laughs> I think it was to stop. Her, was to get her 
and I don't know. It was it's the point was to make her feel bad. I don't know. Oh, it yeah, was the old. It was. I've got the wiki up here. It's the old maids' club. Oh right. Um, yes. What it was in the. It was the fourteenth episode. Um, Hello, um, Sue rounded up unpopular girls to convince Rachel to date Jesse, um, in order in order to break up the New Directions. Okay. Yeah. And Lauren was in it, and someone else. Uh, now, this says someone called Dottie was in it, but it's a different Dottie than the later one. Oh, yeah, because Dottie Casatori is brand new, and I wish that she had stuck around. Mm-hmm. She's a gift. Uh, what do you guys, we should just take a moment, what do you guys think of Lauren's return? This is her final appearance, but return after, like, not being in it for a whole season and a half. And I, I don't know if this is my favorite way to end her character, but at least she got some closure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I like that she said dating Pucker and made everyone kind of, like, grossed out by her, I guess. That was funny. <laughs> the other thing that I, I thought was interesting, I liked that Becky was the one with the most confidence, where all of these, you know, girls are sitting around and like, my life sucks and blah, blah, blah. And Becky's like, yeah, I'm going to the dance and I'm getting, you know, my groove on. I don't care about all the rest of you. And I thought yeah. that was nice. I agree. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, does this feel, maybe it was just me, and maybe it's just because I know that Ryan Murphy's, like, super into anything that is 80s, but didn't it, this whole concept where, like, they're going to turn this around because the guys always ask the girls, and the girls now get to ask the guys, and I know they want a, the context for the Sadie Hawkins, but it also felt kind of 80s teen movie to me, too. Oh, yeah, they only played, um, aside from the songs performed by Glee Club, all of the music played during the dance scene is from the 80s. Hmm. The song that Wait. plays when Kurt asks out um, Adam, I believe that's Psychedelic Furs. I'm pretty sure I have it on my phone right now. Um, they play Dance Hall Days by Wang Chong. Um, it's another song. But yeah, the background music, with the exception of that generic music that um, when Kitty and Puck or Marley and Jake are dancing, but the actual like the background music in those scenes, I'm pretty sure all of that is from the 80s. I just thought it was funny that they made this big hadoo about the girls that go gas the guys finally. And I'm like, that was, I mean, even when I was in high school, we would always ask the guys. I mean, it was not even a whatever. So. Yeah, we were nineties women and we were liberated and we were going to do what we want because Gwen Stefani and Alanis Morissette said so. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. No scrubs. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. I also want to give, you know, two other things about this scene. Um, One, I really think it's funny when Sam's like, you're totally hot if, you know, like we were stuck in a bunker together. (laughs) (laughs) They are going to be stuck in a bunker together somewhat. They're going to be locked in the school and they're going to traumatize poor Blaine. I like how he categorizes her as sort of hot because she was just talking about how like the hot guys ask out the hot girls and then the sort of hot guys ask out the sort of hot girls and he was like well I think you're totally sort of hot (laughs) (laughs) oh Sam (laughs) why do you guys think that Blaine's like not really on board with Sadie Hawkins so there's a couple of reasons like the reason that he tells to Tina is that he has a crush on someone and everyone else is going to be all romantic and he's going to feel left out. But the reason that Tina assumes is that he initially got bullied 
at a Sadie Hawkins dance, which is what prompted him to, to move to Dalton in the first place. Um, I remember people being really pissed about that line, that he got more than bullied. And I have to say, it took him how long to even tell Kurt what happened? Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine he went into the details with Tina. I remember Tina being like, Blaine, why'd you go to Dalton? Blaine, why'd you go to Dalton? Tell me, yeah. tell me, tell me. What school did you go to before? Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. You know, yeah. kind of like she does in this episode. And Blaine's like, I got bullied, okay? Jeez. Yeah. But um, I think, like, my when I was first watching the scene, um, my assumption was, like, everyone's talking about girls asking out guys and guys asking out girls. And the, if the whole idea is that guys have to wait for girls to ask them out, then who do... He's not going to get asked. Yeah, who do gay guys go with? Like, it's the whole thing is structured for straight people. And that's Absolutely. Like, that, it's like a really exclusive club kind of thing, and it makes you feel left out. So Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly that that would definitely be on... You know, because we got over his fear of dances and prom queen. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I don't think that it's, you know, one of those things where he's got like serious issues with the fact that it is a Sadie Hawkins dance, because when he, you know, that wasn't, it would have happened no matter what kind of dance that was. He mm-hmm. asked the boy and the people at the school had a problem with it. And whether it was Sadie Hawkins or prom or homecoming or winter formal or, you know, anything, I feel like the result would have been the same so i don't think the fact that it's sadie hawkins like he has like he's triggered by the fact that it's a sadie hawkins dance exactly is the reason i think it definitely is more because this is like as far as heteronormative dances goes this is like number one with a bullet because it is about the female asking male and you know so where does that leave him right exactly i I don't have anything to add you you just said it really well (laughs) Um, I also wanted to note there's a there's an interesting line from Coach Beast. Now that we know later on that Coach Beast is a trans man, um, the the line is something about um, the Sadie Hawkins dance being a metaphor for empowerment, not just for women, but for anyone not satisfied by the status quo. And my first thought is, well, if there's anyone not satisfied by the status quo, it's the gay kid, and who's like left out of the whole girls asking guys or vice versa culture around this dance and um and with with coach beast actually being part of you know the queer community but we don't know that yet it's kind of an ironic line talking about like this dance that excludes gay kids is a metaphor for empowerment for anyone not satisfied by the status quo (laughs) so yeah well, and it's kind of funny because I really do like Coach Beast in this episode. I think that, you know, there's a lot of good things to be said with, you know, being empowered and just, you know, her, like Beast's whole speech to the girls at the end of it is about, you know, you know, you, you know, taking, you know, don't wait for these guys, don't wait for, but, but you're right, it is still, a, you know, exclusive in certain ways too. So yeah, there is kind of an interesting dichotomy there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, well, speaking of Coach Beast, though, we have one of the really nice things about season four and Will kind of going away for a while is the fact that Coach Beast and Finn get to have some time together. And I really like the development of that relationship and Coach Beast as a tutor or a mentor to Finn because mm-hmm. New Directions is still trying to find its place. They're, they're, 
still trying to, they don't have the auditorium back yet, and they're, they're kind of going from room to room, and I like that um, Coach Beast is very supportive of Finn, and Finn really kind of takes that all to heart, and it's a very nice relationship comparatively to, mm-hmm. like, all of the antagonistic Sue Will stuff that we get throughout the series, so. Yeah. Um, I agree, where, I agree. Where is Will right now? I can't remember. He's in Washington. Um, he oh. is, yeah, this is his stretch in Washington, and um, he was gone because he was going to make a difference on a big, for show choirs and music in schools on a bigger level in D.C., mm-hmm. So he leaves for a while, which is really a way to let Finn take over for a while. And he's been gone since um, Dynamic Duets. So. Okay. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah, I'm like, I don't really <laughs> notice him gone. <laughs> I think there's much more Did of an I interesting... Did I see that out loud? <laughs> I think there's much more of an interesting story with Finn and him growing and trying to, you know, make Glee Club his own project and his own... And he, the thing... Which uh, makes, you know, Corey and Finn's passing so tragic is that they really had a great story here of a kid who really was going to come into his own as a teacher and be a good teacher, I think. And, mm-hmm. yeah. Because that yeah, whole thing. The kids in this glee club really came to trust Finn. That whole thing where he wanted to be an actor really briefly came out of nowhere and it made no sense to me. So I really liked the teacher storyline a lot better. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was just weird. Well, that was like Rachel projecting her dream all over him. That's how I always read it. But What isn't Rachel projecting all over someone? Poor Brody. I can still say poor Brody at this point because we don't know what Brody was probably really doing. Although trains being late, I relate because don't even get me started on the way the train screwed me over last week and made me 15 minutes late for work. So I feel Brody at this point. <laughs> Oh, man. So, okay, so um, one of their non-permanent, temporary is the word I'm looking for, um, rooms is the astronomy room. And the reason I just want to bring up this little tiny scene is because they make that joke where Sam wants to sit under Uranus. Yes. <laughs> and then and then Tina and Blaine crack up and he's like, what? <laughs> I don't get it, but it's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine how Blaine crushing on Sam and Sam saying that? And Blaine's heart <laughs> probably just like pitter-pattered in his little chest. That's so funny. And then Sam is always a little... It's kind of like... Remember when you first started early season two? I think it's this, the first episode where he's like, I've never had any balls in my mouth. And it's just... <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, we thought he was going to be Kurt's boyfriend. So we were like, just wait. <laughs> Just you wait. Uh, well, Sam never does end up with any balls in his mouth. Um. <laughs> I don't know what fan fiction you're reading, <laughs> because I per- even I've written one. <laughs> even I've written one where he hook, hook where he has a threesome with Kurt and Blaine. It's inevitable. <laughs> so, um, the next um, thing, the next time. Uh, we get our um, locker room scene, and I think it's so funny that they decide to do a scene in the, the boys' locker room because it's the only place they had. And Tina is going to sing her solo, and um, I love Blaine's face in this scene so much, so much. My sister, my sister narrates this scene whenever we watch it 
she narrates it as Blaine's eternal dialogue. Like, Tina's so pretty. Oh my god, she's, I love Tina. She's so talented. I wonder who Tina's singing to. She's such oh, a good friend. So she's doing a great yeah. job. <laughs> yeah, whoever, whichever guy Tina's about to ask out is so lucky. Meanwhile, <laughs> in the background, everyone else, like, Marley looks like she's going to vomit from secondhand embarrassment. <laughs> And everyone is looking at Blaine like, what the, and Blaine is just like, Tina's got such a beautiful soprano voice, and she's so great when when she gets to, you know, she's just going to have such a future, and he's just like completely. And then his whole, his whole, no, thank you, sorry, no, thank you, that takes two years to get through is so good. behind him marley is sitting there and i'm telling you this is the episode where i fell in love with marley her reactions to this alone <laughs> like she looks like she herself she looks like she's going through it for tina like she, the girl <laughs> is just going through it i think while you this could is happening watch this scene and just watch everyone's face each time through because Ryder has some weird looks on his face and like Artie is just like wait a minute she's supposed to be asking me and like, just I, I and then that. when Finn realizes who she's singing to, and Finn's like, "Wait a minute, what?" And he's like, I, "Finn almost panics. Like, should I stop this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the teacher. Should I should I stop this before it gets ugly?" Oh, and <laughs> unique Sorry. even has a little look on her face, and, and just, oh my god, just everybody. Even is- Joe, even Joe is like, "Wait." <laughs> I love the line before the song Something starts, seems- where Artie says she's obviously going to sing to a charming charming debonair figure from her past that she let slip through her fingers and sounds like unique really <laughs> and like i think that maybe sam must be misinterpreting the meaning of debonair or something like or maybe he's like I think so clearly the only person in the room who's charming and debonair is unique so wow i didn't know that that was someone from her past that's wow <laughs> We need to mention um, the little flashback, which I realize Blaine and Tina are uh, in the first flashback where they're getting the tater tots. It's like from the day before because Tina and and Blaine are wearing the same outfits they wore in the astronomy um, classroom like the day before. So this isn't like a flashback from like last month. This is like two days ago. (laughs) Never noticed that. Yeah. I love how that lunch lady, you can just... I just imagine a lunch lady just, like, loves Blaine, and that's why he gets away with going back there and getting extra tots. How glad... I mean, can you just imagine Kurt's reaction to Blaine getting those tots? (laughs) Can you imagine Mercedes? (laughs) (laughs) I just imagine when they all live together, they just have tots tots in the freezer, and Kurt's just like, you guys are disgusting. Um, so in this little flashback thing, though, Blaine puts his arm around both Sam and, and Tina, but this isn't, you know, okay, like you mentioned the, that Tina is like season two Kurt. There were times when Kurt would like, whenever Blaine, t- Blaine's a touchy feely person, he's just going to touch you a lot. And, and Tina's yeah. got some of those same, like, oh, he's got his arm around me. Like, kind of like, I thinking of, there's a scene in a hallway where Blaine just comes up and starts rubbing Kurt's shoulders a little bit. And Kurt's like, oh, he's That's in um, Silly Love Songs, isn't it? Yeah. Or something, right? Before yeah. he goes in. And, yeah. And Kurt's just, like, totally swooning. That's right. She also writes Blaine and Tina forever. Blaine, Tina. Latina. Latina forever. In that way that, yeah, again, in Silly Love Songs, that's what Kurt did. 
Um, yeah, while he's up at the board doing that equation and dropping the chalk. Yeah, and this is this marks the and first we have our introduction of a very special guest star. <laughs> uh, this is the first Darren's very ass. Darren's ass. And wow, like they just like I hope went he got paid in. extra for that. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> this is a check up to your ass. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, we're going to put an extra 50 bucks on your check if you let us zoom in on your butt. <laughs> Could you imagine reading that in the script, though? <laughs> and the camera zooms in on his I ass. I feel like at some point when you're on a show like Lee, you just kind of like nothing surprises you anymore. So Darren's like, oh, OK. <laughs> the song, she does a good job with it. I, I just think it's hilariously anvilish. Like, I don't know how to love him. You know, it's just so painfully aware of itself, and it, it just cracks me up. While Tina is painfully unaware. <laughs> and, yeah, Blaine's sitting here like the cutest little muffin cupcake. and <laughs> It's literally one of the funniest scenes ugly ever. Like, the whole thing, and his react, and it takes him so long to say no, to even react to it. And everyone is just, like, waiting with bated breath, like, what's he going to say? Like, we know what he's going to say. Well, I like that it, yeah, it takes him a minute to, like, comprehend it. Like, wait a minute, are you really asking me? Are you, okay, no, we're, we're no. <laughs> and then Tina's having her whole life shattered. And meanwhile, the football team just starts, like, coming in, getting dressed, so she's just standing there. <laughs> I love that, too. And, like, yeah, it's... Because at the beginning of the scene, Finn mentions, you know, we have to be out of here quickly because Beast needs the locker room. And I love that they just keep coming in through this awkward moment. So, yeah. Yeah, like they have no idea what's going on. They couldn't care less. They just, like, need to get ready. And the glue club is just, like, still in there. Oh, my God. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So the next scene that we get, though, are is Blaine and Teen at the lockers. Um and this is kind of where Tina feels a little pushy to me during this. Yes, absolutely. She's like, you can trust me. I'm not going to tell anyone. Tell me. What is it? <laughs> tell, tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. <laughs> I'm like, dude. Yeah. Well, what do you guys think about? Because the first thing that she says is, I owe you an apology. But then she says, but you owe me an apology. And I'm like, really? I, I don't know. This is going to come so, up again in Diva, but no, he doesn't owe her anything. Well, she says the reason is that that's the most um, humiliating moment that she's had in Glee Club ever um, because he she said no to her. She must be forgetting my funny Valentine. <laughs> well, I would block that out, um, too. <laughs> and, um, like, I think, like, I guess there are less humiliating things. Like, he could have said, I don't know, like, what would have happened if he had said... Let's talk about this later. I mean, would that have been any better? I don't know. Like, how do you say no in in front of a crowd without it being humiliating? You know? The thing is, when you ask someone out publicly, that's always the risk you run. Not to mention, mm-hmm. if you publicly ask someone who is not interested in your gender... I, I don't know. I like. I feel like. Come on, Tina. <laughs> Do you really think is this she is gonna? If she had been more like, "Hey, I don't have a date. You don't have a date. We're friend. We're best friends. Let's go to this thing together." 
he would have been, you know, it would have been a lot different than I'm going to sing a romantic song to you in front of everyone and then ask you to this dance and not even mention, like, not even hint that this is a possibility of a thing that's going to happen. It's just way different. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that he, I mean, he was put on the spot. Yeah. And, you know, there's only two ways that could go and you have to prepare yourself that it's going to be a no. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, this scene was also, we kind of talked about it a little bit before, about how this is where Blaine talks about his Sadie Hawkins experience a little bit, but that's not, I mean, not really the crux of it. You know, he has a crush on Sam, um, and he's not going to get asked out by Sam, and he's not going to go with Sam, and that's kind of, like, where his headspace seems to be at. And not only that, but Sam's going to go with Brittany. I mean, there's nothing more dramatic in high school than having to watch the person you're crushing on with their girlfriend. When I was a freshman, I had a crush on this guy. He was a year older than me. And he had this girlfriend. And they were, like, literally attached by the mouth all over campus. (laughs) And it was horrible. My poor little heart. (laughs) You know, that's actually, that reminds me, and sorry for this side tangent, but I'm going to tell the story. The reason I don't like Pride and Prejudice when we were seniors in high school, the guy I had this huge crush on was the lead, and he got to kiss this, the the girl in it. And the girl was kind of a friend of mine. She wasn't close, but she was from mine. But she was always like, I. She was like, you know, I hate kissing him. He's just yucky, and I don't like him. And I'm like, what? You you're up there. You have to, you have to kiss him every night. And I don't. And uh, you know, I have to stand and you know watch you do this, and you're not even happy. And to this day, I still am like angry at. Pride and Prejudice for some reason. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's okay. The girl that was making out with my crush looked like the Pink Ranger, and um, I hated Power Rangers at the time. And then the same actress was on Felicity, and I hated her on there too. So that just like added to it. I'll just say, like, ugh, she looks like the Pink Ranger. <laughs> Gross. Um, also during this locker stuff, this is when we get the flashback to what was a couple days ago because Blaine's wearing the same outfit he was wearing at the beginning of the episode where uh, Sam is um, going on about the warbler still. And I love his, like, he has like this iPad and he has like, you know, pictures of the warblers and the, and their head, you know, they're like, he's like, they're doing drugs. Cause look at their, you know, skulls are huge. And he starts naming off of people that possibly have, you know, celebrities that possibly have had, you know, done drugs and, well, I can't tell if if Blaine z- zones out because he's like, Sarge Jones and Cedric the Entertainer and Aretha Franklin. I'm like, wait a minute. I feel like Bl- Blaine lost the plot like a couple minutes back and now he's just, like filling in the blank of whatever Sam is saying with random <laughs> names because what? <laughs> but I also think that I think there's a little bit of, oh, he's so pretty. <laughs> I'm just yeah, going to watch him absolutely. for a minute. He's like, Dreamweaver. <laughs> oh, that would have been a perfect song. I'm sad that they never did that, Dreamweaver. Right? How could they have never done that? They even, I think they mentioned it. It's all about songs. Yeah. Now, what do you guys think of the comment Tina makes about you need some place to put your love for Kurt? Uh, I have done that. When I have, um, I had unrequited feelings for a friend of mine who, coincidence, was gay. I didn't know that at the time. He was deeply closeted. It's a long story. 
But I also had a crush on this guy that I knew from a bar. And I I remember telling my friend, like, I don't, I think I'm just, like, misplacing, you know, this unrequited feeling to this other guy because I am, I have problems and issues that need fixing. But, yeah, I've done that. I don't necessarily know that Blaine's doing that, but I I think Tina might be doing that. I was going to say, even as, like, even the hardcore claim shipper that I am, even recognizing that there are a lot of little claim references throughout this episode, I don't necessarily think that that's what Blaine's doing. I think he's well aware of this Kurt thing is over there, and it's a thing that I'm not going to deal with because it's not right in front of me. But this whole Sam thing is just a different thing. It's new. It's different. It's something that is, you know, I have to face because it's right in front of me. So, I don't know. I feel like it's not as connected as... I think Tina's doing that. Why? What What In feelings is she not dealing with? Know. Mike. And she, I mean, even in, in her voiceover in Diva. Oh, she yeah. She says, oh, I should call Mike. And then she's like, no, you're not going to call your ex. So, I think right. maybe she might be the one who's projecting you're right. the feelings that she has for her ex-boyfriend. On to Blaine, and let's not forget that Blaine and Mike were friends. That's uh-huh. true. No, I never thought of so that. There's a connection to her ex-boyfriend. Tina seems like she she's a. I mean, she Blaine is not the only person that's kind of lost in this season. I think that Tina is a bit too, um, and latching on to Blaine kind of gives her an anchor in certain respects. I actually feel like they probably bonded over the fact that they're both freshly broken up with, you know? I definitely think that that could be something that kind of helped that, that kind of connected them as friends in the first place, is that they were both, you know, they had their boyfriends who were older and were going off to college, and they had these ideas of what that was going to be, and it didn't work out for either of them. And the reason why Mike broke up with Tina is a whole other bag of issues that Tina eventually, you know, that we never really get to see Tina talk about. But what was um, the reason? He broke up with her for not being Asian enough. Oh, yeah. Right. Awkward. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I have feelings about, but there's not, ne- you know, it's never, it never really came up again, but I could definitely see that being a compromise. Like his dad's like, look, I didn't want you to do this and go into the arts. You're going to do that. But at least could you find you a girlfriend with like the same values that we have and might kind of given into that pressure. I've definitely, mm-hmm. you know, know of people. Well, my best friend in high school was Korean and her mom didn't quite like her hanging out with me and wanted her to hang out with more Koreans. And so she ditched me for a while. So I definitely know that that's something that parents, uh, that, um, parents and and children of immigrants go through so I definitely don't villainize Mike for breaking up with Tina for that reason but yikes that's pretty harsh on Tina especially once we find out that she's adopted so it makes sense if she doesn't have any connection to her heritage if she's adopted by white people Mm -hmm. but yeah that's a whole other conversation kind of jumping back into the scene though I, I do like that they kind of bond a little bit about about uh, you know sam's impressions and and the lips and then they both go like oh yeah and i love through again it's it's a flashback to the council scene where sam makes an impression and, and blaine is giggling just like oh he's so cute 
<laughs> and he's singing Hey Soul Sister, which is um, the song that the Wobblers sang. They sing. Sectionals with Kurt. Yeah. Kurt looks so uncomfortable, poor kid. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then they end the scene um, with with Tina saying, hey, the, what she should have known in the first place. Hey, why don't we go to this as a, as a couple of friends? Um, and I do want to just make a quick point that... Blaine has Kurt's pictures back up in his locker that, you know, they don't really, they don't talk to each other at all in this episode, but there are little moments that they have reconnected, that they are still in each other's lives, just not in this episode. Is it this the episode where Kurt mentions that his ex-boyfriend was a really good dancer? Yeah, Kurt mentions Blaine. And Adam's like, like, I didn't ask you about him. <laughs> Kurt mentions Blaine like two or three times, actually. Um, so, and, and Adam's reaction is actually that he wants to Kurt uh, he wants Kurt to accept the compliment properly. Uh, he's like, "Let's try this again. Nice plie." And Kurt says, "Thank you." Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and Kay says, <"Ugh>, "Sorry." <laughs> and and Jamie says, "Aw, they're so cute." <laughs> And I say I'm giggling because this is funny. No. <laughs> um, so, yes, we get the Sadie Hawkins dance, and it's all this pretty winter theme. And Blaine and Tina showing up together, and Tina's got this pretty dress on. And um, and they sing No Scrubs. And Artie is really – Artie doesn't have much to do in this episode. Man, is he angry about not being asked out. <laughs> Aww. Which is – which it's funny because Sugar's the one wanted to ask him out. But he liked her last season, and she dumped him for what's-his-face, and I don't know. It's a whole thing. I just feel like they probably forgot that they already did that. Probably. Well, it's not like Artie and Rory. Artie and Rory. That's a different show. Artie and Sugar have already, um, like, it doesn't go past this episode, I don't think. Not really. I don't know. Kitty mentions it in season five. He mentions all the girls that dumped Artie, and she mentions Sugar. I don't know why I remember these things, but I can't remember half the things I need to do for my job. <laughs> um, and then we get no scrubs and, you know, all the guys are dancing and it's no scrubs. The song is so great. And I, I love that it's four out of five of the singers are straight guys and they don't change the words or anything. They keep it all about guys that are not worthy of them. It's great. We used to sing this um, all the time. The is very, very tight. Yes, it is. Those buttons look like they could take someone out if you take a deep breath. <laughs> so, what do you guys think of the moment where, oh, okay. um, where Blaine later, a little bit later on in the dance, before Sam takes him away, Blaine and Tina are dancing, and I remember fandom just got so up in arms about this moment. But the way the camera is, it looks like Tina's kind of moving in for a kiss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she. Tina better thanks Sam. Tina needs to thank Sam for saving her what would likely take over as the most embarrassing moment of her life. Yeah, because she was think clearly it, yeah. thinking they were going to kiss because as soon as Sam runs in and interrupts, she's like, Blaine and I were just about to... He says, what? And she says, uh, keep dancing. Because I think she realizes that how that it might not have been what she thought or at least that it would have sounded weird to someone else. Um, but I think she clearly thought they were about to kiss because because um, Blaine was all where have you been all my life and 
you know, and he was like, and he dipped her in the dance and was looking down at her and she saw, I was right here. <laughs> oh, Tina. <laughs> well, I just can't even imagine if she had gone in for the, actually gone in for the kiss. Oh my God. Well, and I think a lot of people, I think because of the camera work, people were like, oh my gosh, it's going to be this, you know, on both sides. And I'm like, no, watching it again. This is all very much Tina's point of view. Blaine just kind of stands there and it's her moving in on him. It, this was not a absolutely yeah. Well, he there was, was being, this was not reciprocated. He was being very charming, and <laughs> and he was treating it like that. Yeah, he was treating it like it was a romantic date. Like I think he meant it in a fun way. Like let's pretend, let's pretend we're on a date. Ha ha ha. Um, but yeah, I could see how that could be confusing. Right. Well, and Blaine is always like. He's always going to say to everybody, oh, you look so beautiful tonight, and I'm so glad to have you with me. And he's always going to be that kind of sweet, charming kind of guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly. He can't help it. He just charms the pants off everyone. Oh, yeah. Um, and I love how adamant Sam is. Like, dude, we've got to go. We've got this information. <laughs> and Blaine's like, I'm it sorry. It is the most important thing that's happening right now. And even even Blaine says, this is bigger than all of us. I've got to go. <laughs> I'm like, oh, guys. Guys. Chill out. Yeah, they still have to do another song in between. Like, they sing that. Locked Out of Heaven and before we get to the Warbler stuff. But they get into the locker room and Finn's there and they're like, okay. We've got this whole thing, and I love all of the research that has gone into this. And, like, Blaine has probably read the entire show choir book and has, like, all the rules memorized. Cause he, and I love that it's so obscure. Like, line A and column B, and, you know, it just, like, mm-hmm. it says, if you're taking enhancers, you are disqualified. And, like, how many? much fun did must that guy have had who did the whole rant about Splenda and it tastes like pencils? Why are you putting pencils in my coffee? <laughs> Hunter, I, you know what? I And I saw somebody mention this and maybe just because I work in retail, it cracked me up. But like, if you watch the barista, he's just chill. He's like, okay, <laughs> like, go ahead. Wreck my store. Let this happen. Not say anything. Oh, man. They don't pay him enough to try to intervene. Yeah. He's like, okay, you're going to throw that now? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Hunter it's is... It's really all you can do. Yep. And I love that Finn is like, well, this isn't enough evidence. And then they bring in the big guns. One of them, I love Trent. He is the sunshine of the group. Me too. He really is. He really is. I love Dominic Barnes. And I love the bit, I love the the fact that him and Blaine started together. I was going to say, yeah, I like that we get a little bit of history of Blaine being in the Warblers. Because sometimes, even in season four, I feel like, I mean, yeah, they did dynamic duets and Blaine you know, was a Warbler and everything. But after a while, it's like, oh, yeah, Blaine does have that history with them. And Trent was a part of that history. And, yeah, I just like how they give it, fill it in just a little bit more backstory. Yeah, exactly. And Trent's like, I don't even shave yet. And Hunter calls him sensitive. Like, come here, sensitive. You're going to get these injections. But yeah, so we learned that the Warblers were taking injections. That's so mean. Yeah. But I do like that after this, it's I can't kind believe of- Nick and Jeff would do this. Oh, there's a there's some there's a bit of logic that doesn't make sense to me with with regard to the injections. My understanding is that they're 
it's not steroids. They're just taking testosterone. Is that correct? Um, and they're, and uh, Trent says, my hormones cannot take heroic doses of testosterone. I don't even shave yet, which doesn't make sense because if he took extra te testosterone, then he would have to shave. And it's like, what, I don't understand what he means that he can't take it because like I mean I understand being against it and not wanting to do it but I don't understand his logic that like his body physically can't take extra testosterone like that makes no sense <laughs> I, I don't think the writers do I, I don't understand it so I, I, I can't <laughs> I try not to think too hard about some things because my head hurt mm -hmm. when it comes to glee but now that you mentioned it that is very that would make him like he would have to shave all the time <laughs> Like twice a day, probably. Or all it would probably do is if he hasn't really progressed very much through puberty such that he's not growing facial hair, then he would start growing facial hair. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just heartbroken because fandom led me to believe that Nick and Jeff were such good guys and they just go <laughs> along with this. And it's like all my fandom life, I thought that they were these like just like Blaine's best friends. And they would never do anything to betray him. And yet here they are. Mm -hmm. Well, they don't want to rock the boat. Like they I'm don't want to draw attention to themselves. They're just going to go with the flow. So they're probably Apparently. still good guys, but they're not, you know, they're not the strong leader types. They're going to be in the background and they are going to do as they are told and keep their heads down. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, but uh, yeah, so their whole plan, the, the thing that doesn't make logical sense to me. Okay. So they get Trent and they're going to go tell, I don't know, the show choir board. I don't know who they're actually going to tell to get the, the warblers disqualified, but the warblers are going to be disqualified. That just disqualifies the warblers. The new directions were disqualified completely. Like they can't just magically go to regionals or. Yeah, it would actually. It would actually be the third group that would win in that yeah, case. Yeah, it would have been the the men knights or whoever. I was, was... I was assumed it was because they were the, the defending national champions. Okay. Oh. I don't know. I okay, just know just that me... there was a third group at sectionals, and they would have been the ones to automatically go since they were the only ones that were disqualified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to watch the show about the Mennonites. <laughs> yeah, they were a good group too. They deserved to go on to regionals. <laughs> they sing about other things other than have them in season six instead of vocal adrenaline. No. Oh. Oh. So yeah, instead of vocal adrenaline, what the if, poor man Zane. What if they had to like? Um, they had to have this like big competitive rivalry against a group that was not competitive. They were just happy to be there, like. <laughs> Like, Maybe that's win. what happened. And the other group's like, we'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and that's the untold story where Sam and Blaine just heroically go to the Mennonites and like, we want our trophy. We want to go. And they're like, okay, go ahead. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, if you want. <laughs> yeah, we don't really want to go all the way to Los Angeles anyway for nationals. It's just going to be like a whole thing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's just sometimes the plot holes. <laughs> plot ravines. We decided they're plot ravines. <laughs> so. Um, so, yeah, I like this scene. I love, you know, Sam and Blaine, you know, like, buddy-buddy, like, the investigation. And then I love Finn, where he's confused through most of it. 
<laughs> and then after Trent's thing, he's like, oh, this could work. <laughs> so He is the sunshine of the group, isn't he? <laughs> I'm like, yes, Finn, he is. So the end of this episode is the dance stuff still. And Tina, like when Blaine left her, Tina just stood around for a minute looking sad. So she's still looking sad by the, the um, punch bowl. And Blaine comes back. Um, I'm sure Blaine's going to fill her in. I don't know why. I guess maybe Sam and Blaine kept this whole thing secret until they told Finn. I don't know. Um, but we get, I feel like this is. Tina's like, not known for keeping secrets. That's so. true. Oh, that's true, because she's always calling everybody. She, like, in the first season, she's calling Mercedes. I know that she calls, like, Rachel and, and Kurt a couple times during season four. So, yeah, that's probably true. She calls Santana about Sam and Brittany. Yeah. But we get the, the last song, and we get um, Sam and Blaine dancing. And, and, no, I'm sorry, Tina and Blaine. Oh, I'm tired tonight. Um, dancing, and Blaine has the saddest look on his face. Holy crap. Um, I know. I don't know. And it, I mean, a little bit. Oh, sorry. I, I would have totally watched that show, Sam, Sam and Blaine Dancing. That would have been a good show. <laughs> I read that fifth once. <laughs> but I, it's a little bit because, like, Sam and Brittany are dancing a little bit in their kind of kooky little zany way. And Blaine's watching on. And I think it's a lot of, I mean, a lot of it's longing for Sam. A lot of it's longing for you know he used to dance with Kurt like that and it's just so sad and like when you compare it to Blaine dancing with Kurt and I do which is a few episodes from now it's such a big difference but then Tina is just off in her own little world not even it's she I mean this last scene is with the two young be bitter club where they kind of disband it for good and she's like I love the end of this I, I've just met the man of my dreams with the love of my life and Becky's like you mean gay blame <laughs> Becky is like, girl, get a clue. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of where we end it. Uh, did you guys have anything else that you wanted to touch upon, or stuff that we want to? Um, the, my only other note that I made while I was watching was about "I Only Have Eyes for You," which always, always creeps me out because it was used over and over again in a really creepy episode of Buffy. <laughs> and so yes! I, oh my I, god! Yes. I just always associated it with that, with like the ghosts and murders and stuff. But it was very well done. <laughs> I missed that. I never saw that episode. So, okay. I'll... It was in season two, right after, right when Angel got all hatchety murdery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah. damn not, good not, episode. Not really relevant, but yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank you guys for being on this episode. It's a it's a really fun episode. Every time I come back to this one, it's just um, a lot of fun to go back through. Um, if you guys haven't, I would just recommend you going over to the other side and listening to the Kurt side because there'll be a lot of awesome stuff there. Otherwise, next week we are going to get naked. Only not really. We're going to discuss being <laughs> naked and not really do it. Are you guys going to all record the episode while you're all separately naked in separate you, places? You could, you could say you did. We, I could say I did. Yeah. No one would know. No one would know the difference. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it topless. Um, no, I won't. I promise. Uh, but thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next Sunday. Listen puzzle piece I'm complete
was just 